that you came to pay the penalty we deserve for our sins. Lord, there is nothing we could do to earn God's favor. There is nothing that we could do to, to fix the sin problem that we had on our own because we were slaves to sin, but you have set us free. Lord, that's the good news of the gospel. And I pray now as we open to Philippians chapter 3 that you will open our eyes in fresh ways to the glories of the gospel. Open our eyes in fresh ways to the race that you've set out before us in our lives that we are called to run with perseverance and to run with eyes focused on Jesus. And so we pray that you will be our teacher through your word and through your spirit. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in the mid-1990s, Forrest Gump uh, famously proclaimed, my mama always said, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. These are words that have resonated down through the last, what, 20 years or so. And you know what? I think there, there's some degree of truth in there that, that life does have a degree of uncertainty. I mean, it can feel like there's some randomness there as you look at the ups and downs that we face in life. But this morning, I also want to focus us in on a different metaphor for life. That's, that's one metaphor, life being a box of chocolates. But another metaphor that's a very biblical metaphor for how we view life is life as a race that we are running. And I, I like that metaphor because a race that we're running shows that we have a purpose. Life isn't just a bunch of random uncertainties that, and we are hoping that life deals us a good hand. When we view life as a race that we are running, there is a specific end goal, a destination, a vision that we're trying to accomplish and pursue. I mean, think about it. When you start a race, whether it's a, a running race, whether it's a, a car race like the Indy 500 or something like that, you never hear someone say, okay, you guys who are in the race, just, or girls who are in the race, just go and, and keep going for a while, and you know, sometime we'll let you know when the race is done. That's not how it is, is it? No, in a race, you always have a very clear and specific end goal that you're trying to pursue. You know, I mean, you're, you're going this many laps. You're going for this long. Uh, you have the end goal that, that provides a vision and a direction and a purpose for what you're striving to do in the race. It really makes a difference in how you're running. But many times we see in life people, you know, they, they get discouraged. They're in the middle of this race of life, and they just get kind of downtrodden and feel like, you know, what's my purpose in life? Where am I really going? I mean, depression rates here in the U.S. are at all-time highs right now as people wonder, why on earth am I here? When you look at that classic midlife crisis, as, as men or women reach more of middle age and they realize, you know what, I might have more decades of life behind me than I have in front of me. Am I really living for what matters? Or do I need to realign where I'm going in life? I mean, you see younger people, my age and younger, who are looking for the sense of fulfillment. And it's easy then, when you're looking for that sense of fulfillment, to jump from job to job looking for the perfect job. Jump from relationship to relationship, um, from gadget to gadget, looking for something that's going to fulfill. But there's always this sense of restlessness, of, of wanting something more. Even in our spiritual lives, we may attend church, we may read the Bible on a regular basis, but we can still have that nagging feeling that there must be something more, something that I'm missing out on. Today I want to talk out of Philippians chapter 3 about a vision, about an end goal that Christ sets out for each one of us as we run the race of life. That, that if we keep our eyes on that prize, on the end goal, on that compelling vision, it will give us the perseverance that we need 
to continue on in the race of faith when things get hard and to really finish well, wherever that finish line may be in the future. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. If you didn't bring a Bible with you but would like to follow along, you can grab one from the pew or the chair in front of you. Uh, We're in a series right now called Gospel Fluency. Uh, The gospel is the good news of what Jesus has done for us through his life, death, and resurrection, reconciling us with God when we come to faith in him. And we're talking about being fluent in the gospel, where it flows through us, where our understanding of the gospel is clear, where our communication of the gospel is clear, where our application of the gospel is thorough. It's many times people think of the gospel as kind of the starting point of the Christian life, kind of like the ABCs. But Pastor Tim Keller says, you know what, the gospel is not just the ABCs of life. It's really the A to Z of life. That, that from beginning to end of our lives, the gospel is to permeate everything that we do. And that's what we're seeking to understand in this series is how does the gospel impact our lives? And today we're looking at this metaphor of life as a race that we are running. And we're asking, what's the end goal? What's that compelling vision that can keep us going in the right direction in our life, the direction that God has intended us to run. So I'm going to read Philippians chapter 3. We're looking at verses 12 uh, uh, through chapter 4, verse 1. And just to remind us of what we looked at last week, we looked at Paul had a magnificent obsession with knowing Christ better and better and better. He said, whatever was to my prophet, those, those credentials that I was looking to uh, for a sense of identity and purpose, those things are lost now compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And, and so here we pick up in verse 12 where, where Paul continues that thought. He says, not that I've already obtained all this, meaning this, this goal to know Christ better and uh, to be um, connected with Christ on a very deep and intimate basis. He said, not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. (laughs) This is a rich passage. And Philippians 3, I think, is one of the most passionate chapters in all of scripture where Paul has already been talking about the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ, how nothing compares to that. And here he goes on to talk about this metaphor of life as a race. And he says, you know what? I am pressing on. I'm forgetting what's behind me. I'm straining towards what is ahead. I want to reach the end goal, that prize that Christ has for me. And that's what we're talking about today. 
And I specifically want to point out three different phrases in this passage that I think really capture a compelling vision of what we are striving towards in this race of faith. And the first phrase that I want to zoom in on is in the second half of of verse 12, where Paul says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Paul understands that that Christ came and grabbed a hold of him at some point in his life. And Jesus doesn't do anything haphazardly. And so there was a specific reason for which Christ grabbed a hold of Paul and transformed his life. He's referencing, first of all, back to Acts chapter 9 at Paul's conversion. Paul had a very dramatic uh, conversion experience. He was um, very opposed to Christ and Christianity at first. He was an up-and-coming Jewish leader. I mean, he was gaining a lot of notoriety. I mean, he was rising very, very fast. And he was so zealous for his faith that when he felt like the Christians and and their their attention to the gospel of Jesus Christ, when he felt like Christians were opposing his faith, he wasn't just passive about it. He went out and actually began to persecute them. He would uh, imprison them, and he even had some of them killed. That was how passionate he was for his faith. But now, now Christ has come along, we see in Acts chapter 9, and transformed um, him, where Christ had a, the risen Christ had a very, um, a very dramatic experience of appearing to Paul as Paul was going to the city of Damascus to persecute more Christians. And after that experience, Paul, or Jesus spoke to this guy named Ananias, who was a follower of Jesus there in Damascus. And said to Ananias, go to the house of Judas in Straight Street. Go look for, for this man, Paul. Ananias says in Acts chapter 9, Lord, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord, who is Jesus, says to, said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. So we see here that when, when Christ grabbed a hold of Paul, he gave him a very clear mission, a mission of making Christ known. This became a driving force in Paul's life where he had previously been someone who was persecuting those who held firmly to the gospel. And now he was someone who said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because in the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. He said, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. And so we see that Paul became someone who became um, driven by this vision of making Christ known. That he wanted to live out the calling that Christ had given him when Christ grabbed a hold of Paul in the first place. And along the way, Paul also gained what could be called a magnificent obsession of not only making Christ known, but also knowing Christ better. As we looked at last week in Philippians 3.8, Paul said, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And so Paul, he, he, he had a new vision in life. No longer was he trying to rise up the ranks of the Jewish world, gaining notoriety, gaining fame, gaining a lot of pats on the back along the way. Paul now is focused on the gospel of knowing Christ, and of making him known. I think one of the reasons that we in our Christian's life, Christian lives oftentimes just kind of go through the motions, we, we feel maybe unfulfilled to some degree, even though we may be active in church, maybe reading our Bibles at times, I think it's because we lack a clear vision 
of what God has called us to. And you may be thinking, well, yeah, I, I agree. I, I struggle to really know what is God calling me to do? Oftentimes when we talk that way, we're missing sight of the main thing that God has called us to. Our primary calling, which applies to every single one of us, is to know Christ and to make him known. And, and our vocation and how we are living out that calling, that's secondary. I mean, the secondary calling is whether God's calling me to, to know Christ and make him known as an electrician or as an engineer or as a plumber or as a school teacher or as a student or as an administrative assistant or as a homemaker. Those things are secondary callings. The primary calling, which applies to all of us, which is already crystal clear, is that we are to know Christ better and to make him known. And it's important that we are clear on that calling because that can help us to see where we are supposed to be going in this race of faith in our lives. It's incredibly important that we have clarity and, and really have a compelling vision of what Christ is calling us to. Because if it's not compelling, if we don't see the glory of the gospel, then we're just going to go through the motions. We're not really going to have our hearts engaged in what we're doing. But if you have a compelling vision of the end goal, it changes everything. Back when I was in high school, I, I, I was a runner. I ran track. And I was pretty decent at it in many ways. And one of the things with track is that you have that clear end goal. You know what you're trying to do. And especially, I mean, your goal in track is usually win the race, do as well as you can, run a personal best. When I was a freshman in, in high school, one of my goals um, that I set for myself was I wanted to break a school record. We had this board on the wall, this display board that had um, a lot of names for all these different events that, that had the best time, the best throw, the best jump ever in the history of our school. And I thought, I want to break a school record. And that, that, that thought was in the back of my mind throughout high school track. I mean, sometimes more than others. And then got to my senior year. And, you know, it was still kind of in the back of my mind. And all of a sudden, um, I was running the mile one day. Well, it wasn't all of a sudden. I knew I was getting better at the mile. Um, but I went out and ran a time that was only four seconds off the school record. And, and I realized, you know what? I'm so close. I can taste it. And so the next track meet, um, about a week later, was at a school that had a really nice track, a, a rubberized track. I ran a lot of cinder tracks back then um, that aren't as nice. I ran a 450 in the mile on a cinder track, and I thought, I'm, gonna, I'm running on an all-weather track next week. I'm going to break that record. That was my vision. It was a compelling vision. I wanted that record. I mean, I tasted it. I knew I was only four seconds off that record. And the cool thing was, at the track meet, there was this big digital clock right at the start-finish line. And I knew the lap times I had to run on those four laps in order to break the record. So I was constantly, as I was coming around each time, I'd watch that clock. You know, sometimes, if you've ever run, you know that sometimes it's hard to run. You get tired, you get winded, your legs feel like lead. You just don't feel like going anymore. You want to give up. But that was the day where I didn't feel that. I was running with a sense of joy and a sense of excitement, a sense of anticipation, because I had a compelling vision, a compelling goal that I was driving towards. I wanted that school record, and I got it that day. Beat the school record by two seconds. I lowered it again later in the year. And you may be thinking, wow, 440, 442 is pretty fast in the mile. It is pretty fast, but 
it's not all that fast in, by today's comparison. I went to a relatively small school. I mean, if you look at larger schools, look at the newspaper, what high school students are running now in the mile, it's not that fast compared to that. But there was something that was cool. I mean, it shows the power of a compelling vision. If I didn't have that, that vision of that school record that I wanted to break, would I have ever run that fast? You know, probably not. Now, last week we were talking about credentials, those, those mental lists that you make of the things that make you special. One of the things that was on that mental list of mine for a long time was that school record once I achieved it. You know what? Paul said, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Those credentials aren't things we should put confidence in. And I realized that pretty quickly. You know, it's cool to have my name up on that board. But, you know, what do you do with that? Uh, I mean, seriously, okay, I go to college. I mean, I'm trying to make myself look good to other people when I'm meeting them. Do I say, hey, I hold a school record in the mile at my high school? No. I mean, that's kind of lame. How much more lame is it if I, as a 34-year-old, want to say, hey, you know what? I, I'm, I'm someone special. I, uh, I ran a 442 back then. Well, can't run that anymore. I mean, it's kind of lame to put your confidence and your sense of identity and meaning in credentials like that. Besides, a couple of years ago, another student who was aiming for a school record, he broke my record. It's not even up there anymore. But that's the way it is if your mind is set on earthly goals. I mean, they're, they're cool when you achieve them, but they can't be what you set your ultimate sense of identity and meaning and purpose in life in. We need bigger goals than that. We need a goal beyond athletic goals, beyond financial goals, beyond being popular. We need a goal that will last on into eternity. And that is what Paul is focusing us on here, a compelling vision of knowing Christ and making him known. He says, brothers, chapter 13, or yeah, verse 13, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. He's saying, you know what? The measure of spiritual maturity is not how much Bible knowledge you have. It's not how much you do in ministry. The measure of spiritual maturity, Paul is saying, is how much do you yearn to know Christ better? Because if, if he's saying, you know what? All of us who are mature should take such a view on things that we haven't yet achieved or attained spiritual maturity, but we're still in the process. We, we still have room for growth. And that brings us to the second phrase I want to zoom in on today, uh, verse 16, where Paul says, Only let us live up to what we have already attained. He has this idea of something that through the gospel that we have already received, already attained as Christians. I mean, we've been talking about the gospel a lot in this series, obviously. And one of the definitions for the gospel that we've talked about is this idea that Jesus has redeemed us, he is renewing us, and he will ultimately restore all things. But this says God has already, if our faith is in Christ, he's already redeemed us. We are already his children. We've already been given a status. Now let us live up to that. Let us live up to what we've already attained in the status that we have as children of God. We've already attained it through faith. It's already ours. Paul's saying, let us live up to it. So one of the things that, that we've attained is a new identity. No longer are we spiritual orphans. No longer are we just out there wandering through life. 
hoping to find our way, hoping to, to be welcomed into heaven one day. Now, if our faith is in Christ through the gospel, we are children of God. We've been adopted into his family. Galatians chapter 4 talks very clearly about this. In Galatians 4, Paul says, But when the time had fully come, God sent his Son to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights as sons and daughters. Because you are sons and daughters, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who cries out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son or daughter, God has made you also an heir. He has brought us fully into the family of God when our faith is in Christ. It's a new identity. I have two children who were both adopted, one from China, one from Ethiopia. They have a new identity in a sense now that they are part of our family. No longer are they Mikyas and Yixing, their Chinese and Ethiopian names. They are Micaiah's John Lemons, Tehila Grace Yixing Lemons. They have a new identity. They have parents who love them. No longer um, do they live in an orphanage. No longer are they struggling with malnutrition. No longer are their caretakers people who are paid to care for them. But they are deeply loved by parents. They are deeply loved by a community here. They have all the food they ever need. They have shelter. They have educational opportunities. They have so much in life. They have, in essence, in many ways, a new identity. And that's what happens to us, too, when we come to faith in Christ, that we are no longer just floating out there, but we are given a new identity as sons and daughters of God. And Paul says, let us live up to what we've already attained. We're already sons and daughters of God. Let us live up to that. We've also attained a new calling. We've already talked about that, the calling to know Christ and to make him known. Paul's saying, may we live up to that. I mean, it's such a glorious calling to represent Christ in this world. May we not take that for granted. May we not squander the opportunities that he gives us, but may we hold out a compelling vision in front of us and say, you know what? We have an opportunity to make a difference in eternity. We have an opportunity to grow closer to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's not squander that. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. I mean, think, for instance, uh, of an example of a person who's just scraping by. I mean, they're living on food stamps. They are, they're struggling to make mortgage payments. They're, they're threatened with foreclosure. Um, they, they're, they're just buried in credit card debt. And then suddenly they get a letter that they've received this huge inheritance, million dollars, in their bank account. But they keep on living with that struggle. They, they, they still let the interest continue to build on their credit card debt. They're still living on food stamps. Their house is still on, on the road to foreclosure. They have a resource there, million dollars setting their bank account. All they have to do is use it. They've attained it already. It's right there, but they are not using it to apply it to their lives to make a difference. And it's the same thing. We have an incredible resource in the gospel We're already children of God if our faith is in him. We've already been given a calling and a purpose in life. If only we will embrace it and live it out. Let us live up to what we have already attained. Paul goes on to say, Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. 
He's saying, you know what, basically, I'm still running the race. He's kind of speaking as kind of a veteran on the team. I mean, you think about sports teams. I mean, you have people like Donald Driver or Mariano Rivera with the Yankees or um, Tony Gonzalez, I mean, great veteran tight end. You have veterans on the team, and just by the way that they are living their lives, they are setting an example for the rookies and the younger people who come in. And that's kind of what Paul is doing. He's saying, you know what? I'm not perfect, but I'm still out here running the race with perseverance. Look at my examples. I follow Christ, and you follow Christ likewise. And he goes on to say, you know what? Some people, they're, they're living as enemies of the cross of Christ. And, and if you dig into what's being said there, it's talking about people who claim to be Christians, but in reality, they're living only for themselves. They're living only for earthly things. I mean, it says their God is their stomach. They're, they're seeking immediate gratification rather than looking to an eternal prize, an eternal goal that they are pursuing. And he says, you know what? That brings him to tears because he sees people who, who talk a good game. They honor God with their lips, but they are not following God with their lives. Now, there's a quote that it was part of a song that I listened to from DC Talk when I first became a Christian, but it's... Um, it, DC talked in it, right? But basically the quote is this, that the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him with their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And, you know, I think there are a lot of causes for atheism in the world today. I'm not sure if that's the greatest cause. But it does point to that reality that we have a responsibility to live out the gospel in our lives. If we're only speaking it but not living it, people are going to see that. They're going to see the hypocrisy, and they're not going to be attracted to it. But, but there's a compelling vision of living wholeheartedly for Christ. And as we do that, he gives us purpose, gives us a goal to run towards. Paul says, verse 20, our third phrase that we're zooming in on, our citizenship is in heaven. He's saying that is our ultimate identity, our citizenship is in heaven. Oftentimes when you meet someone new, you, you make small talk with them, you ask them, so what do you do? I mean, in those times, we end up equating our sense of identity with our job, or we equate our sense of identity with what we have. But Paul is saying, you know what, our ultimate identity is that our citizenship is in heaven. It's kind of this homesickness of, of wanting to be back home in heaven with Christ. And that's really the ultimate reason um, that we should be looking forward to heaven, the, the end goal of the Christian life. It's not just to have nice things. It's not to just live a sorrow-free life for eternity. It's to be with Christ. Because remember, Paul's consuming passion is to know Christ. John Piper, um, who's written many books, he was a pastor for many years, he, he says a quote that I think is very convicting in our view of heaven. Oftentimes when we think of heaven... Um, it's not very compelling, is it? I mean, we think we really don't want to die because we like life on earth a lot more than we'll probably like life in heaven. I mean, at least that's the functional way that we sometimes think. But heaven's not going to be a place where we're just floating around in clouds playing harps. Heaven is a little bit better than that. But here's, here's the, the convicting question that John Piper poses. He says, The critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness... And with all the friends you ever had on earth, and all the food you ever liked, and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed, and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted, and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ 
were not there. If Christ wasn't there and you had all those other perks, could you be satisfied? If we could, we are not yearning for what heaven is actually like. Because what, what I mean, it will be a great place. I, I believe it will have a lot, of, it will have these things Paul's talking about. But the greatest thing of all there is being face to face with Jesus Christ. Remember, Paul said, everything's a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That's his passion on earth. That's the passion that carries on into eternity. He says, we eagerly await a Savior from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. He closes out this passage with, uh, in, in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord that by focusing in on that compelling vision, that eternal goal that Christ has called us to, that will help us stand firm in the faith, help us push forward, help us run well the race of faith that Christ has set out before us. Now, like I said, many times we, we lack that vision. We, we don't have that compelling view of where we're trying to go. But my prayer is that we will be people who will see clearly what Christ has called us to, and it will be so compelling as we just become captivated with the gospel that we can't help but just press on and seek to know Christ better and make him known in everything that we do. Now, what Paul's talking about here when he talks about wanting to win this prize, it's not a competition. I mean, oftentimes when we think of races, we think of beating the competition. But this, this prize that Paul's talking about, he wants to win the prize for which God has called him heavenward in Christ Jesus. That prize is being with Christ and to hear those words from Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. I remember um, I've been married to Shelly for quite a few years now, um, but I think of the time when I was homesick, for probably the most homesick I've ever been in a sense of, I was in Brazil for two months on the mission trip, and Shelly and I were dating at that point, we were just a couple weeks short of engagement, and I was in Brazil for two months, and she was back here in America. I longed to be with her. I enjoyed what was going on down there, and I had little tidbits to remind me of her. I had pictures of her. We talked on the phone periodically. But I wanted to be right there in her presence. And I remember that, that, those plane flights home. It's a long way from Brazil back to here. But that, that focus that I had the entire trip back was I'm just looking forward to seeing Shelly, looking forward to seeing her face to face. I heard her voice all throughout um, my time in Brazil over the phone. But so different to be in her presence. And that should be the passion that we have in our lives. Be in the presence of Christ. But between now and then, know Christ better. Make him known. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that this will become a consuming passion for us. This, this compelling vision that drives us forward, that defines how we're seeking to run this race, Lord. I know that we all come here from different backgrounds. As we leave this place today, we'll all go to different settings, different houses, different neighborhoods, different jobs, different family settings, different groups of friends. But Lord, in the midst of those things, we pray that you will help us to have a very clear and compelling vision and passion to know Christ better in those settings and to make him known. And that between now and the time when we see you face to face, that we will be faithful to that calling that you've given us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.